Good morning and welcome to Weekend Rewind. Today, we've got the Health Studies Institute at Rider University's Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp, where he'll discuss everything you need to know to keep yourself healthy, presented in part by the Rebelvich Institute for New Jersey Politics. You can catch Dr. Karp at his normal time every Sunday at 11 a.m. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's Weekend Rewind, only on 107.7 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, proudly nominated for a National Association of Broadcasters 2019 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are recording from the remote Bronx studios at Ryder University. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp, and welcome to Health 411. The Ryder University Health Studies Institute and the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics presents Health 411, truthful health information to expand knowledge and perspective. This program communicates cross-disciplinary perspectives affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the business and the politics of health and healthcare. I am here today with our stand-in student producer, Tommy Frank, and our guest, Jackie Cornell. We are going to talk about today recreational use of cannabis in New Jersey and the ballot initiative here in New Jersey. And Jackie Cornell is very much involved with that. But before, Jackie, before we get into the, the, the nitty gritty of what's happening here in New Jersey in a very, very current sort of way, can you give us a little bit of, give the listeners a little bit of your background and how you got involved in the politics and the industry around the cannabis business? Absolutely, absolutely happy to. So first, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I feel like this radio show is like the intersection of most of my career um, because prior to cannabis, I worked in public health and in public policy. Um, so I had the privilege and the pleasure of serving uh, in the Murphy administration. I was the number two uh, at the Department of Health. Um, and prior to that, I worked uh, in the Obama administration. I was regional director uh, for region two, which covered New York, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, and the US Virgin Islands. And, uh, you know, my career has kind of had a, a lot of twists and turns, but the very beginning of it um, was a college peer-to-peer -peer sex educator uh, working with Planned Parenthood. So um, my days in public health go all the way back to when I was a student um, doing good, uh, you know, sort of empowering education to my peers. Um, so this, this is a great opportunity um, to, to talk to folks who, who might maybe one day be a regulator in cannabis. Um, but to your to your question, how I sort of got in the cannabis space, um, my engagement with cannabis prior to the Murphy administration was much more centered around the social justice issues. I had friends who were at the ACLU and Drug Policy Alliance, um, and and had a pretty strong framework of of the really the as I see it the failed war on drugs, right? Um, mass incarceration at disproportionate levels for black, black and brown folks, um, and realizing that, uh, you know, we needed to do better. Um, and that medicinal marijuana, to me at that point, was something I had only really heard of for folks who were in, in really dire situations, right? Oncology, mm -hmm. uh, HIV, uh, severe PTSD, hospice, palliative care, and the like. Um, day like three or four of the Murphy administration, uh, the governor uh, declared a, an executive order six to overhaul the program, uh, the medicinal marijuana program, and to make recommendations in 60 days. Okay. So, um, so, so here in New Jersey, there was a medical use of marijuana um, laws that allowed, like you said, some, some, some patients to get it, but it was a very restrictive policy. 
Precisely. So uh, the marijuana program, the medicinal marijuana program in New Jersey was originally signed in the lame duck session of, of Democratic Governor John Corzine, um, but then left to um, Republican Chris Christie to implement. And while the program existed, it was very small. Um, there wasn't a lot of outreach. There wasn't a lot of engagement with the clinical community. Um, it was there, but if you didn't have the sort of impetus and the tenacity to, to get into the program, it was, it was really hard um, and really expensive. And there were very few operators creating very little product. So Governor Murphy um, was inspired by a young boy uh, and his family, uh, Jake Honick, Jake had cancer and his parents were very outspoken about the, the severe sort of hurdles that they faced, right? Trying to treat Jake's cancer, trying to get product. Um, and this was really the impetus for the governor uh, to, to make this declarative executive order. No, in, in, all, in all fairness, I think one of the issues he ran on also was legalization of marijuana. I mean, that did come up during the campaign. It most certainly did. Um, and I think where, um, like, like most things, right, uh, this, this is the case for any quote unquote controversial issue. Um, look at marriage equality, look at a, look, a variety of issues. Um, when you can kind of speak to people's heartstrings, right, it's, it's easier to move an agenda forward. And so I think uh, Jake presented an opportunity to do Correct. immediate action, right? What can we get done in, in 60 days? How fast can we make this program that exists better? Full well knowing that the adult use market would be a longer, more um, tenuous political battle to build out. So, so I, I commend the governor, right? For doing it that way and realizing, let's not let patients continue to suffer um, while we're waiting for adult use to happen in New Jersey. And when, when you say adult use, is that the political way of saying recreational use of marijuana in sort of a open market kind of format? Well, the reason I say adult use is because if you look at consumers in dispensaries around the country in these, you know, quote unquote, as you say, recreational markets, um, there have been surveys and studies done that show that upwards of 60% of those individuals who are going into a dispensary without a medical card are purchasing cannabis for medicinal reasons. So they're there because they want a good night's sleep. They're there for anxiety or pain. So they're not card carrying patients per se, but they're purchasing for a medicinal purpose, right? And so to me, I feel like adult use and, 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 the, and the movement, right? Adult use is a more appropriate term because so many individuals are using cannabis for the quality of their life. And the term recreational sounds like it's just to go to a concert on a Saturday right. and, night. And that's one thing I, I was trying to draw out of you and you, you picked up on it appropriately is that it's not marijuana use or cannabis use is not only about people going out and trying to get high and get stoned. And a, a majority of users, one could argue, and there's certainly studies showing this, are not doing that. They're using right. it for quality of life issues. Yep. And that's what brought me into the space. Um, you know, my work in the department, I talked to so many individuals who were struggling with opioid addiction, um, you know, basically walking addicts, right? They, they held a job, they had kids, but they were completely addicted to opioids. And we all know, um, you know, prior to the pandemic, 
the opioid crisis was one of the leading public health crises of our generation, right? Yes. So many young, old, the amount of deaths and overdoses and the amount of people whose lives basically ran rampant as a result of that was, was really, um, you know, pronounced. So, and that's just of, not, it's not just in inner cities. That's here in New yeah. Jersey too, all yeah. over the state. Yeah. And, you know, and Governor Christie, I, I give him, you know, a, a, a fair amount of credit here. He really made the case and, and made it strongly um, that many of these individuals originally got these prescriptions for completely legitimate reasons under legitimate, you know, legal circumstances, right? Torn ACL, surgeries, et cetera. And then before those individuals realized it because they weren't educated enough in the highly addictive nature of these narcotics, right? Their lives like slipped away. And, and he did, I think, a good job of, of highlighting that. You know, I also think it's fair to, to talk about though that there were black and brown folks, Latino folks, you know, overdosing at, at disproportionate rates long before the rest of the world quote unquote woke up to the opioid crisis. Um, but, you know, if this is what it took, at least we're starting to talk about it. And that's a lot of how I got more involved in cannabis. And, um, and, that, and so I want to, before, before we run out of time in this first segment, I just want to, for anybody who's listening, say you're no longer involved in federal or New Jersey politics. You are actually the chief of policy and health innovations for a company called 1906. And what is 1906 and how is it related to what we're talking about? Adult right. use of cannabis. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So uh, you're right, I, I work sort of in policy now, but not in politics or in government any longer. Um, 1906 is a company uh, headquartered in Colorado with products in a, uh, Oklahoma and soon to be Massachusetts. We're on a pretty steep expansion trajectory right now. Um, and what we do is we focus primarily on uh, edibles that are um, tablets, press tablets. So they're called drops. And for me, um, these low dose, fast acting drops are the, are the cannabis of the future, right? People don't wanna feel stoned. People don't wanna feel out of control. A little bit better, right? Less anxiety, sleep, more cognitive focus. Um, and so I was approached by a lot of companies and it wasn't until the team at 1906 kind of painted this picture for me that made sense with my background um, and my commitment to health work that I could, I could really get behind a company. So I've been with them for about a year and a half, uh, year and four months. Um, and it's been an awesome ride. And we want to hear more about that, but we need to take a break for some underwriting announcements and we'll be right back. You are listening to health 411 on 1077, the Bronx and 1077 The Bronx. We're back with the Weekend Rewind edition of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Carr, presented by the Rider University Health Studies Institute and the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics, only on 1077 The Bronx. Recording from the remote Bronx studios, welcome back to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Carp here with Jackie Cornell. Jackie is the Chief of Policy and Health Innovation for a company called 1906. The company 1906 is one of the companies that nationally um, is taking um, a very entrepreneurial and, you know, uh, approach to the emerging trend across our country, which is the legalization of adult use of cannabis in different states. Um, and Jackie is now involved in that effort here in New Jersey, and she's going to tell us. The, so um, we had to take a little, I had to interrupt you for the end of the last segment, but 
please go on and tell us more about what your company is doing. And in the process of that, you mentioned um, what is generally called edibles. And that seems to be what 1906 is involved in. And so I want to talk about that in the context that, that, that we started before, is that not everybody who uses cannabis is going out there to smoke it, get high, and get stoned. And Correct. so with that, I'll throw it to you. Great. Thank you. Um, so, you're, so you're spot on. Um, most people don't like to smoke, right? They don't like how it feels. They don't like how it smells. It's not their preferred method of taking medicine. Um, we also realize that there are so many consumers that are overwhelmed, right? You walk into a dispensary in Colorado, California, Washington, and you're going to have, you know, well-intentioned uh, staff in some instances, uh, but other times people who are just going to pepper you with questions. Do you want an indica? Do you want a sativa? How do you want to, you know, how, how do you want to go at this? So, so by analogy, it's sort of like walking into a GNC store in a mall and asking somebody about, you know, I want to, I want to work out. I want to, build, you know, get these people who really don't, don't know what they're doing, just throwing stuff at you. Right. And so where we sort of recalibrated that entire engagement is instead of saying, do you want an indica or do you want a sativa? Do you want a vape or do you want a flower? We say, how do you want to feel today, right? What do you want to feel today? And really frame our product around that. So, so we have six different experiences, uh, energy, cognitive focus, uh, sleep, relaxation, arousal, and just overall sort of mood boosting and happiness. And sort of take the, you know, sort of empowering the consumer to say, I just want a good night's sleep. I don't want to have to have a long dissertation on what a terpene is or isn't, what a CBD versus CBG versus THC is or isn't. I just want this experience. And our framing has proved, um, this framing has proved really successful in Colorado. Um, we've been on the market there for over three years. Uh, and uh, in Oklahoma, which we just launched in, Oklahoma is the fastest growing medicinal market in the entire country. Uh, over 10% of the state holds a medical cannabis card. Um, we're flying off the shelves. And I think in small part, because the world is so intense right now, right? Yes. Um, we're living through, uh, it's cliche to say, but unprecedented times. And really, who knows when we're going to get back to life as we knew it. Uh, or if we'll ever get back to like as we <laughs> yeah, That's a very philosophical thing that we can do. So, <laughs> so how does 1906 determine um, how to categorize its products? How well, do they determine that this one will help you with sleep? And I'm going to embed in that, is it, we, for, for those of us who have been around drugs, whether they're medicine, prescription drugs or recreational, there are things like dose response curves. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm just curious, how does 1906 deal, you know, a patient who's, you know, five, one and a hundred pounds different than somebody who's six, seven and 340 sure. kind of thing in terms of its labeling and, and, and go. Yeah. So what you raise is, um, is kind of a two prong question, right? First is how do we as a company deal with that? And what we tell consumers all the time is go low and go slow. Um, our products are all low based. Our highest, you know, our highest milligram product is five milligrams, right? Our lowest, uh, we, we have stuff that's at one or 1.5 milligrams. And just, so, I'm going to interrupt you for one second. When sure. you talk about the milligram use, you're not talking about CBD or some metabolite. We're talking THC, THC. hydrocannabinol. Exactly. This is the, the major psychoactive component that is in marijuana 
and we know that, like you mentioned before, there are many, there are, I think, 60 or 80 of them, but THC, which is the main one. So THC is the one that we talk about when we talk about a dosing amount, because that's the one that quote unquote makes you feel stoned, right? That like that prescriptive sort of state that people think about. We are also incredibly intentional to do either a one-to-one or even higher ratio of THC to CBD, which means that the feeling that you have, you know, should not be overwhelming, right? It should be pleasant. Um, and, And look, this is not to disparage products that intend to get someone incredibly stoned. There's there's people who want that feeling and there's, you know, consumers who desire that effect. But most of us, most, you know, high functioning professional adults don't want that feeling. We just want to feel better. We just want to get through our days better. And so a lot of our um, or, strategy, or nights, or nights yeah, better. Yeah. Um, but our strategy is how do you take the cannabis, let it do what it does best, and then add other botanicals and adaptogens to really elicit these effects. So You'll see in our products, we have Coriadalis, we have you know a variety of different things that we add to elicit a specific response. Um, we obviously are very careful about you know where the bright white line is about making medical claims. Um, and that's why we talk about experiences and we hope that people have a pleasant experience. But the root of your question around dosing to me brings us to a much larger conversation on, on research, right? And the federal policies and procedures that make doing research on cannabis incredibly complicated and prohibitive. Um, and I'm always eager to geek out on that with you if you want to dive into that more. <laughs> oh, we certainly can, but let's have a, 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 another show on that one because I'd love to have you. So I'd love to have you back. And two things, you said one thing that was very, very important to anybody listening and you sort of stole my thunder is you mentioned the THC to CBD ratio. And both in terms of subjective use and the research on people who are studying marijuana, that is what people should really be concentrating on, is the ratio of those two things. And there was actually um, subcellular receptor kinds of science that shows the interaction of those two things can lead to the most pleasurable experiences. So I just want to um, thank you for stealing my thunder, but that's one (laughs) of the things that I wanted wanted to go into. The other thing that is very pertinent that we do want to talk about, and I'm going to lay the ground here just to give you a background for people who are going into the election season here in November, right? Why is it important for us to be thinking about uh, adult use cannabis? What's happening on election day? What are we going to, what's, what's happening in New Jersey? Yeah. So uh, election day is basically every day right now because, uh, because of the pandemic, the entire state of New Jersey is voting by mail. So people are casting their votes, you know, as we speak, as you're, as you're releasing this uh, information out into the world. On the back of the ballot, uh, ballot question one is a question to legalize um, adult use cannabis. This is incredibly important um, to get the ball rolling um, to really move for meaningful change in in what the state has right now um, for a whole host of reasons. But let me just talk to one that has very little to do with cannabis first. Um, the first is, you know, the ability to bring in uh, taxables, rateables, and jobs, right? So if you're a listener who doesn't care about cannabis and doesn't want to consume it, and you could give a hoot about what goes on with legal cannabis, 
um, but you care about the state budget, you care about municipal uh, budgets, and, and you care about job creation, this is an opportunity to bring in an industry to the state of New Jersey that has to be here, right? You can't outsource these jobs. If you have a license in New Jersey, you have to operate, you know, grow, manufacture, and, and dispense here in New Jersey. And we have been incredibly hard hit. I mean, some of my favorite bakeries and restaurants have closed as a, as a result of the pandemic. And so, and, and many more companies have struggled as a result um, of COVID-19. And so we can talk more about what legal cannabis means for those interested in cannabis, but I think it's really important to think about those who are just interested in public policy and budgeting, um, that this is a real opportunity for the state to, to bring a new industry here uh, and all of the benefits that come from that. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to, to mention because of COVID, the state of New Jersey has again raised, because it's short on revenue, has raised taxes on gasoline. It's raised the, 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 the tolls on the turnpike because there's been such a shortage of this. And this is an opportunity. Um, and just before we take a break at the end of the segment, I just want to say adult use cannabis or the legalization of you know marijuana and cannabis in New Jersey does not legalization does not mean no regulations. And, and I, I don't think 1906 and the other companies are promoting that. And just say, you know, people are willing to work within whatever rules are put forth. Is that, is that true? That is, and I'm happy to dive into that in the next segment as well. I think that would be a great segue to the next segment. We'll be right back with more healthcare talk after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to Health 411 on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. We are back with the Weekend Rewind edition of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Carr, presented by the Rider University Health Studies Institute and the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics, only on 1077 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp here with Jackie Cornell, who is the Chief of Policy and Health Innovations of a company called 1906. 1906 is one of the companies that is hoping to capitalize on a, the legalization of cannabis here in New Jersey. And at the end of the last segment, Jackie was telling us a little bit about a ballot initiative that is that is on the ballot right now in the November 2020 election. And what I said was, you know, legalization of cannabis does not mean cannabis sales without regulation. And she was nodding her head and saying yes. So can you tell us a little bit more about what companies like 19, uh, 1906 can expect and what the, the, the general populace here in New Jersey might expect if the ballot initiative passes? Absolutely. Thank you. So um, I think, you know, you, you said before, this isn't going to be an unregulated market. Um, cannabis is incredibly regulated, um, both from the procedures of the actual spaces, right? Who's in, who's allowed in and out of the facilities, uh, how they're, how they're ID'd, you know, all of that sort of security measures. You want to um, expect an age thing too, like alcohol? It will be. Um, so there will be an age. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So there will be an age limit. Um, based on, you know, based on what's on the ballot. <clears throat> There's also um, just a ton of security in general, right? Um, cannabis companies don't take their uh, their their spot lightly. Um, we realize that there's, you know, a, one bad story creates a wave of, of stigma, you know, one one bad incident creates a wave of stigma. And so um, there's a there will be a lot of security to make sure that product only winds up in the in the hands of, of adults. Um, the other piece that that happens in many markets around the country, and New Jersey is no exception, um, is that 
uh, products will be put in, you know, child resistant packaging. Um, candies and edibles won't be allowed to look like other known candy. So things won't be allowed to be shaped like a gummy bear, for example, or a fruit ring, right? A peach ring or something like that. Um, edibles won't be, you know, baked confections, um, if allowed, won't be allowed to look like a hostess cupcake or a Twinkie, right? Purposely to not have an, you know, a negative or an adverse event where someone doesn't know what they're consuming, right? So that's um, pretty common throughout the country. Um, and we, we can expect similar things here. And, and um, I, I expect there would also be limits on how many, how much you could buy at one time. Exactly. Rules against reselling it if you buy it from an approved dispenser. And um, so, so the, the, do we know exactly what those rules are going to be here in New Jersey? We don't know exactly word for word how those rules are going to be, but let's be honest, we're behind the curve, right? There's 11 states with adult use cannabis right now. So there's plenty of playbooks and there's plenty of examples of how to do this and do this well. Um, there will most certainly be penalties and consequences if you, for instance, buy product and then resell it to someone else. That will be illegal. That is illegal, right? Um, so I think that there will be a lot of effort to, once the market begins to expand, you know, to educate consumers about it. Um, one of the things that I've talked a lot about to my colleagues sort of in the public health space, and I did this back when I was at the department, um, was having real conversations with, with uh, health policy folks saying, look, how are we going to recalibrate education, right? People are going to consume. So how do we teach consumers how to consume safely? Right. And, and to do all the things that they, you know, they might just not know enough about what they're doing uh, in the early days of this and how, how to get there. And I think companies like ours are eager to be a part of those conversations. Um, you know, we've, we've done back pre COVID <laughs> we were allowed to have events. Mm -hmm. We had done three educational events uh, in the state just under my watch can, can to you, do can, just that, to explain you, to people how yeah. cannabis works and how it affects their bodies. For different reasons in a, in a different space, one of the things that happened with the cigarette industry um, um, after, you know, they had to do a lot of education about smoking. And their education was also trying to get you not to smoke, but at the same time trying to get you to smoke. Is that sort of what might happen with the cannabis industry? Or I'm hoping you're going to say the approach is a little bit different. The education <laughs> the is different. The approach is a little bit different because let's not forget that there are legitimate medicinal yes. benefits to cannabis, right? So there has never been a product that an eight-year-old with epilepsy, an 88-year-old with arthritis, a 28-year-old with, you know, anxiety, and somebody who wants to go to a concert on a Saturday night all consume the same thing, essentially the same plant. Um, so this is different than alcohol and tobacco because while there will be, you know, highly regulated, there are not medicinal benefits to either of those products. And as we started at the very beginning of this, 60 plus percent of adult use consumers are walking in those dispensaries, not to go party, but to feel better. And, and that I think will be this fine line that we're going to have to strike. So this narrative of the, you know, sort of war on drugs, look, there has never been a recorded case of someone overdosing and dying from cannabis. Yeah. And as we're having this podcast, someone is probably overdosing from an opioid. 
Yeah, you know? and, there, and people die here in New Jersey from drunk driving and alcohol-related illnesses all the time. People die from smoking-related illnesses. So I'll, I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, it's a product. People ingest it, but legalization or doesn't mean safe. There's a lot of products that are totally legal in our society that are, you know, almost anything you put in your body is not 100% safe. There can be, I mean, you might not die of a marijuana overdose, but you, there are people who might get high and then drive a car when you shouldn't be doing it and, you know, bump into something. So another way to spin that, and I, and I, and I kind of hear what you're saying, but another way to think about that is take something that isn't as dangerous as tobacco or alcohol. Let's take a bag of Doritos. Okay. <laughs> okay. So if I have the big family size, party size bag of Doritos. I can turn that bag of Doritos over and I with, you know, pretty easy can understand how many calories, what ingredients are those ingredients organic, where have they been tested, who approved this product, who produced this product, when it expires. There's a set of standards that we hold to for most things that we consume, right? I think the job of the cannabis industry and the regulators is to find the sweet spot. We have found a way to tell you that the entire bag of Doritos, you can eat it if you want to. You will probably feel awful <laughs> if you do, right? And I've done, I've done that, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we have to find the sweet spot and, and it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be a one size fits all approach, but to ignore the benefits that, that I have seen in, in you know, patients and, and friends who have, who've change their lives and change their anxiety and change their insomnia as, as a result of this, of this product or these products. Um, I think it would be, it would be foolish for us to just paint this as the big bad boogeyman, right? There will be always people who eat the entire bag of Doritos, but most of us eat a serving or two and go on about our day. Thank you. Stop. Yeah. And, um, well, I was, oh, actually that brings up an, in, an interesting thing is it, it so, like many substances, um, cannabis use does activate the mesolimbic so dopamine, dopamine system. So for, forms of addiction are possible. How, how does the, the industry deal with that possibility? And, and I just want to remind you, you already talked about alcohol, <laughs> tobacco, um, and it is, is self-control important um, in this sort of thing, in, in monitoring that for the industry? So, because you're coming, you you came into the industry for a social justice background, right? So it's not all about peddling a product, right? No, um, it's not. So, yeah. Right. So, I'm 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 trying to draw something out of you. I want to see if you, if you get it. So, I mean, I think that many companies understand that there's a nuance to how to do this work, right? Um, that good operators will have an impactful and meaningful social justice component of their work, right? How to educate the community, how to hire from within the communities that they operate in, um, how to put their money where their mouth is when it comes to philanthropy efforts. Um, do I think that people want all of the industry to speak for all of the industry? Sure, right? That isn't that easy. Wouldn't that be great to do in anything? Um, but what I think what will likely happen as the market matures here in New Jersey, it will be a highly regulated market. There will not be a dispensary on every street corner, partly because um, the state has a very you know, strict sort of processes about how many operators exist, right? So 
I think that what will happen over time is that the good operators will rise to the top, the good products will rise to the top, um, and those who are serving New Jersey and serving the community best will will to continue to succeed. Um, but this is an industry unlike you know any other, and I think it's hard to say if one company does something bad that that speaks for all of us, and if one company does something good, it speaks for all of us, right? We are individual companies. And we're, what we're, what you're saying too is the laws do not modulate human behavior. Humans have to modulate human behavior. You can't legislate that. Can. Um, and we're going to have to take a break for some underwriting announcements. We'll be right back to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7thebronc.com. We are back with the Weekend Rewind edition of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Carr, presented by the Rider University Health Studies Institute and the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics, only on 107.7 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, recording from the Bronx studios. You're listening to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp here with Jackie Cornell of the company 1906. Jackie's company 1906 um, is involved with the uh, cannabis industry in what she calls a, a, a adult use of, of cannabis. And one of the things that she's talking to us about is has to do with the medicinal use, sort of the self-prescribing use of cannabis for people who might have sleep issues, people who might have anxiety, whether it's COVID related or not, uh, people who might be in low levels of chronic back pain, which I think are some of the more, the more general reasons that people are doing it. And one of the things that's, that, that is part of this industry over our lifetimes um, is sort of what's happening is goes of the de-stigmatization, the destigmatization of people who use cannabis. Is that one of the things that's that's happening um, in your world? It is. Um, <clears throat> it is, and and thanks for raising it. I mean, there was uh, just an article recently in the New York Times talking about how more and more parents, right, are turning to both alcohol and cannabis to deal with the stress that we are facing um, right now as a country. And when I was reading that article, what kind of jumped out at me or like I was reminded of this image, to walk into any Target in America and buy a wine glass that says mommy's juice, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we've, we sort of, we chuckle about it. We joke about it, right? Like the, you know, I was out to eat one of the few, few places we've been out to eat outside and they had adult essentially boozy Capri Suns, right? Like yeah. we find creative ways to consume alcohol all the time. I think it is time uh, that cannabis sort of gets gets their their fair shot at being destigmatized in the way that we look at alcohol. Um, many, many people long before New Jersey was was talking about the adult use ballot question were responsibly consuming cannabis to deal with their everyday stressors in their life and, and to get a better quality of life. So I, I'm excited to see us starting to get there. I think the ballot question will be a, a, a step in that direction. Um, but let's be candid. People have been consuming cannabis for as long as we've got documented history all over the world. So well, I think, I think the, reckoning the, point. the name of your company, 1906, is somewhat related to that too. Can you explain that? Yeah. Uh, so 1906 is the year of the Wiley Act. And the Wiley Act essentially is the Food and Drug Act that created the prohibition on cannabis. The federal, in, the federal, federal, excuse me. Yes, federal prohibition on cannabis. So up until 1906, people could use um, cannabis and, and did use cannabis in a whole you know, range of medicinal 
um, you know, purposes at, at home and, and, and it was widely, widely used, widely, widely consumed and, and traded and bought and sold. So um, we joke all the time, you know, it's, it's bringing us back to the pre-prohibition days. Um, you know, it took, a, it took 100 years for America to come to its senses uh, and, and bring cannabis back to the spotlight that it was in, uh, you know, 120 but why, years. So l- let me ask you that, since you're bringing up history and right before that, we were talking about the stigma associated with cannabis use. How did it go from a product? How did, the, did that stigma develop in the first place? What happened? Yeah. So there's been several outstanding documentaries. Um, I would I would encourage your your listeners to to check out uh, the grass is greener is is probably one of my favorite that really articulates in a way that is both engaging and punchy but also really informative and it talks a lot about um, how throughout time in this country we couldn't um, we couldn't make certain behaviors illegal right xenophobia and and an anti immigrant sentiment have been rampant, unfortunately, for a very long time. It feels like it's at a fever pitch right now, but um, it's been around for a long time. And the term marijuana came, you know, almost as a direct result of kind of trying to paint Mexican uh, farm workers who are coming into the States um, in a negative light. And there there have been quotes over and over again, uh, tying all of the sort of war on drugs that happened in the 60s and 70s to, we can't make being a hippie illegal, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, we can't make being a hippie illegal. We can't make be- being a Black Panther illegal. So let's make let's make the drugs that they consume illegal, right? We can't make the beatniks illegal, um, but we can make the thing they do illegal. And and there's a long and and sobering history of using cannabis arrests and incarceration to do a trickling down effect into social work uh, and social justice issues, housing, voting. I mean. The, the, the pipeline into prison, so much of that is anchored on drug arrests. Yeah. Um, w- w- it's wouldn't astonishing. it be wonderful if we could redirect some police efforts away from these sort of victimless, harmless, you know, crimes in a sense, right. and redirect the efforts to more <laughs> societally appropriate things, I would, I would argue. Well, and, and so it raises two points, right? One, it's a cost savings immediately to the state, right? Stop spending money arresting people for non-violent, non-violent drug offenses, right? And secondarily, you create a cycle in which people get out of prison and then can't get or find, have real difficulty getting meaningful employment and are faced with the barriers of now what, right? So they go back to selling illicit, you know, illicit and illegal uh, market drugs and and the cycle just kind of perpetuates. We we have to do better for those who are who are um, coming back into society. We have to find more creative ways. You know, our company has um, has partnered with the New Jersey Reentry Program. Um, should we be awarded a license to operate here with an express interest in hiring folks who are formerly incarcerated, training them up? Hopefully they stay with us, but even if they don't stay with us, now they've got you know an entryway into a meaningful career path in the in the industry. Um, but that's you know some of it is what companies like ours can do, and I'm excited to do it here. But we also need to think about the policy that shapes those decisions and makes those you know prohibitive hurdles when it comes to housing, when it comes to government assistance um, for for former drug arrests. Yeah, very very interesting. So in a sense, the legalization. You know the people who are going to be selling and the people who will be giving the advice out are probably people who are using it now even though it's technically not legal i find that very interesting um and so 
we have a, 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 just a few minutes left. I want to ask you a couple questions. One of them is, since you know, in a, we're voting for this, as you said, people are mailing in their votes now in New Jersey. Um, what do you know, quote unquote, your sources say about the feel of this issue on the streets? Are are people hopeful? Um, are you 15 points behind? Um, can you fill us in on that? So every poll that has been done this year has shown that the support in New Jersey, 60% or better, 62, 65, 68%. Um, overwhelmingly, New Jerseyans support legal cannabis. But the newsflash is, is we've supported legal cannabis for long before the ballot question was existing too, right? So for me, what's really important is that people turn those ballots over and they actually vote. Because a poll, if 2016 right. showed us anything, is just a poll. It's not worth the paper it's written on if people don't vote. Um, and so the big thing is to remember to go and turn your ballots over, vote yes on question one so that you can be counted towards this. Um, the support only grows by the day, I mean, which is, which is great. Uh, I just hope that everybody turns their ballot over, doesn't forget, uh, and, and, and returns it. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, so yeah, so th what you're saying is this election is a lot more um, than who's going to sit in the White House come 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 the end of January. It's a whole uh, lot more. It's 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 a whole lot more, and also is it embedded in a lot of the things you're saying is people don't need to fear cannabis. Am am I wrong in saying that? You know, I joke all the time that I am, I am but one, but I am a growing number of former uh, federal and state right. regulators who've gotten into this space. I'm the mom of a seven-year-old. Uh, I'm, you know, I go to soccer games and t-ball practice and baseball practice. I'm a suburban, you know, kind of housewife mom as you get. Um, and I work in this industry because I think that there is such incredible potential to help people live a better life. Um, and that would, that's what I think 1906 is doing. That's what I think a lot of other companies are trying to do. Um, there will always be the boogeyman in cannabis, but most of us are, are incredibly in, engaged in the communities that we operate in and want to serve them well. Well, I think that's a great, a great way to, to end this segment. Uh, 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're recording live from the Bronx studios. Thank you for listening to Health 411. This program is part of the Ryder University uh, Health 411 efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of healthcare. I'd like to thank Jackie Cornell so much for being our guest today. Thank you, Jackie. Thank um, you. I, I would love to have you back after the ballot initiative and talk about what's going to happen. Um, either way it goes down in the future. If you have questions and or comments about this program, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. That was a Weekend Rewind edition of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp, presented by Rowdy University's Health Studies Institute and the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics. Remember to catch Dr. Karp at his normal time every Sunday at 11 a.m. That's all we've got for this week, but Weekend Rewind will be back on Monday with Dr. T's Your Pet Matters. We'll see you then, only on 1077 The Bronx.